have come back to be with us tonight for our Sunday night worship, and we hope that you have had a good day and that things are well with you. Tonight we are continuing our study in Joshua to assist uh, in the preparation for the Bible Bowl for our students and our kids here. Uh, tonight I want to bring a lesson and some thoughts from chapter 6, 7, and 8 of Joshua and uh, to be able to reinforce some of the good teaching that's already been done by our teachers. And we start out with the thought uh, that's very familiar to us all is the victory over Jericho. In chapter 6 and verses 1 through 27 um, in that chapter, we see that they have a victory. Uh, as I was studying this and as I've studied this before, who has ever heard of a military strategy such as what's described in this chapter? Um, to walk around and blow horns and shout. Uh, that's not the war we know today, is it? Um, but they were guided by God, weren't they? Through their faith in God. They were told to march around the city with all the men of war, if you remember. One time each day for six days. On what day do you think, this, I'm going to ask you this question, on what day do you think that the inhabitants of Jericho started laughing at them? You think about that. They walked around and they went home. <laughs> they come back the next day, walk around, and they go home. At some point, I feel like that the inhabitants of Jericho probably made fun of them. It's not recorded, really, but we say uh, it have to be that they would think, well, what kind of uh, is what kind of war is this? You know, before this, they had sent in the spies. We talked last week about Rahab, who had. Uh, kept the spies up and kept them secretly there and, and uh, got them out of the city. And uh, we know, as we read last week, that they were very concerned, you know, Rahab and her face, that we have heard what you and your God has done. And they were very, very uh, disturbed and scared, if you will, when it came to that. But again, the city was in fear and was probably uh, terrified on the very first. And maybe the second day, they weren't so terrified because they weren't doing anything. They were just marching around and going back, back home. But you know, on that seventh day, you know the story well, the men of war were to march around the city seven times while the priests blew the trumpets. And when the trumpet blast was prolonged, the people, if you remember, were to, to shout and the walls were to collapse. You know, the Israelites did exactly as the Lord instructed, and the walls fell down. And the people were victorious over the inhabitants of Jericho. Every animal and every person were, were destroyed, except for Rahab and those in her house. You know, what's the, the key thing here, the key, key, the key directive, if you will? You know, there's another important command that the Lord had given in this battle. You remember it well. Typically, the people, if you remember, when they went into war and decimated a city or, or whatever the case may be, they were to enjoy the spoils or the things that they found in that city in their victory. And they were to plunder the city. 
But God, if you remember, gave a different command. And you notice there in chapter 6 and verses 18 and 19. He says, but keep yourselves from these things set apart. Or or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and bring disaster on it. For all the silver and the gold, the articles of bronze and and iron are are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. You see, carefully notice that command. All of the valuables were told to be considered holy to the Lord and dedicated to God. You see, this was fit was for what was taught in the law of Moses about God receiving the first fruits. If anyone took of those valuables, Israel would be set apart for destruction and disaster would come upon it. You know, God gave a very direct command there, didn't he? He says, do not do this very thing. Do not do it. Today, he gives us very direct commands, doesn't he? He gives us that he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. He says that my son died upon the cross. He purchased the church. He says you are to sing, you are to give all these acts of worship. God gives specific and direct commands. Now some are by example of the early church. But he gives very direct commands in those things. I remember a man named Uzzah, if you remember. He was told, they were told, the people were told not to touch the Ark of the Covenant, wasn't it? And as they were traveling along, the Ark of the Covenant, if you remember, began to wobble and move. He had good intentions, didn't he? He had good intentions. He just reached up to stay the Ark, to steady it. But he was told what? Do not touch it. You see, when God gives direct commands... We have to obey those things, those commands. If we do not obey those commands, we are just like these Israelites. They were set up for destruction. When you go into chapter 7 and verses 1 through 15, the story of the conquest in chapter 7 continues. The next city, if you remember, to be conquered is Ai. Spies were sent into the city of Ai, the report. They come back with a report. They did not need all the men of the war because there were just a very few people in that city of Ai. God's with us, just a very few. We don't need all the men. We don't need all the resources. So only about 3,000 men of war were sent to Ai. And those 3,000 men, if you remember, they got whipped, didn't they? Or if you're in the country, you got whooped. They got whipped. The soldiers were chased out of Ai, and the people become fearful. And Joshua goes before the Ark of the Covenant, places his face on the ground, and he asks God, what has happened? He knew something wasn't right. He knew that God had been with them. They had been successful. And that was the reason of their success. Because God was with them. And he goes and he knows. He says, what is wrong? What has happened? What have we done? Or what have I done? Because of this great defeat. 
You know, there were 36 men who lost their life when you read the scripture there. 36 men who lost their life innocently. And we're going to find out why. The Lord responds to, <clears throat> to Joshua. And that Israel has sinned. In chapter 7, in verses 11 and 12, <clears throat> says Israel has sinned. First, in verse 10, he tells Joshua to get up. Wherefore liest thou this upon thy face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed or the devoted things, and I have also, and have also stolen and disassembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Verse 12 goes on to say, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore, except you destroy the accursed or the devoted thing from among you. Now notice the process here. Joshua has said something's wrong. We haven't lost this many men. We haven't lost any men. And these 36 men are, are, are dead and gone. And we've been whipped. And, we, and something's wrong in the camp. You know, as I was studying this, I thought about it in my own life. When I would look around and I would say, I said, what, what's wrong? What, why, why is these things happening to me? Now, sometimes the things that were happening to me were because of just things that to grow my faith. Things that make me stronger were happening in my life. Maybe adversity or things that come my way. That just happens in general, doesn't it? But sometimes those things or bad things or those misfortunes or whatever can come on by our own sin and by our own deception and by our own way of not being with the way God wants us to be. And we have to take and figure out that. We have to do a self-examination and say, why are these things going on? Are they because of decisions I've made? And we'll talk about that <coughs> a little more later on. But God calls for the people to concentrate themselves and to be prepared because the violators are going to be picked out. The one who is caught with a thing set apart must be burned along with everything he has because he has violated the Lord's covenant and committed an outrage in Israel, as one version puts it. Chapter 7 and verse 15. You go back up to 13 and they're being uh, concentrated to be prepared to, to meet the Lord. And for this decision to become, come out... And as you notice through scriptures, God has a great plan here. He narrows it down, doesn't he? He pulls out Judah, he pulls out this, and lays this out, and lays this out, if you read the scripture. And it comes down to what? One man and what? His family, isn't it? Now, I don't know if the family was in on it or not. I do know they were burned with him. But the Lord weeds down the nation of Israel until he gets to Achan. 
Chapter 7 and verse 16, all the way through chapter 8 and verse 29, you read of this, this situation. Joshua urges Achan, if you remember, to tell the truth to not hiding anything. In the latter part of chapter 7, Achan confesses, doesn't he, that he took a beautiful Babylonian cloak. Not only did he take a cloak, he took 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, and he hid these things in the ground inside his tent. As Achan confesses these things, Joshua says, he's going to say, I want to say he sent messengers, didn't he? In verse 22, it says, They ran into the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. They took them out of the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua, and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold, his sons and his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought him to the valley of Achor. Now notice in verse 25, and Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? Why have you done these things? It says, now the Lord shall trouble thee this day, and all of Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire. After they had stoned them with stones, his whole family now, they raised over him a great heap of stones. And to this day, so the Lord turned into the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor, or Troubling unto this day. But you see Joshua there, he pulls out the one who is guilty, doesn't he? They stoned his family, him, and death, and burned up their bodies. Now in chapter 8, we read of Israel's victory over Ai, don't we? And the people are allowed to keep for themselves the spoils of victory from Ai. And now that that sin of the people had, had been dealt with, victory could be achieved through the Lord. <clears throat> now you think about that, that whole story. Because of one man. Now a lot of people think that my sin, what I do, what I say and do in my own time, or maybe in my own house, doesn't affect anyone else. Now we find in this story that the sin of one man affected what? A whole group of people. 36 men, innocent men, lost their life because of one man's sin. We have a whole family, children and daughters, and, and all the belongings that he had are burned up because of these things, because of this sin. They're burned up. We should never, ever think, well, it's my business. I've been told this before. Well, it's my business. I'm not hurting anybody else by what I'm doing. And you know what? We're sadly mistaken, aren't we? 
We may not know it at the time. We may not see it at the time. But our sins affect other people. Number one, it affects the church. And it separates us from God. You see, we need to get back to teaching our children (coughs) and our older people as well, because many have lost this, that when you sin and you are a Christian and a member of the Lord's church, you are a representation of the church of Christ, number one, but you are a representation of the church of Christ at McCoinsville. And when we are in the community or we are in the halls of the school or we're on a sports field or we are in whatever, the grocery store or at a ball game or whatever the case may be, we are a representation of God and Christ, number one, but the church as a whole and the church here at McCoinsville. It used to be preached a whole lot that says that when you, we use the terminology that you have brought uh, a shadow upon the church. You have brought uh, someone to think negatively about the church. That's how we get into public sin. When we have affected the church and people look and say, well, that's a Christian, and they go to the Church of Christ at McCoinsville, we have brought reproach upon the church, and it has to be confessed and repented of. Because one man's sin can affect the whole group of people. You hear a lot of sermons through the years that's called their sin in the camp. And once we got that sin in the camp, it affects the whole camp. It affects the whole church. You say, well, it's me. It doesn't matter how I live my life. It doesn't matter. It's not going to affect the church. It's not going to affect anyone else there. Yes, it does. If you remember how many times I've told you that I've been asked before, have you ever, you ever you preach on modest dress? Yeah, I do. Do you preach on this? Do you preach on that? Yeah, I do. Well, I've seen so-and-so, boy, and I'm going to tell you, that wasn't too modest or that wasn't too, they, they didn't keep their anger. I said, well, people, I always say people sin. But people are watching, aren't they? People are watching us in the community of what we do and what we don't do. And the effect of our sin brings reproach and a shadow upon the church. And we have to be careful with that. So again, what is sin? In the book of 1 John, in chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, Whosoever committeth sin, notice this, transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of law. What is sin? Anything against what God has said not to do. God says, don't lie. If we lie, we sin. God says, don't cheat. If we cheat, we sin. God says, don't curse. If we curse, we sin. I had to deal with that on my school bus this week. Had a young lady in about the ninth grade. She wanted to take and use very profane language on my school bus, so I just pulled over in the dollar store parking lot. I just politely got up and made the statement. 
to the whole bus. I said, you will never, ever speak like that on my bus again. You'll never hear me talk that way, and you're not going to talk that way either. But it's something that's in our society, isn't it? People use profane language all the time. And it affects other people, especially when we're Christians. But sin is anything that against what God has said. God, and when we read it in here, this is God's word, right? In the Bible, when we read that. You know, we talked about this morning. God first families. When we're not God first families, we are sinning, right? That's against God. All of you who are back tonight, you're God first families. You're wanting the best for your children. You're wanting the best for your grandchildren. You're wanting the best for your families. But sin is transgression of the law. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 17, all right unrighteousness is sin. <clears throat> what is righteousness? What God has laid down. The right way of doing things, the way God's law has said to do this, the way God has said to, to worship, the way God has said to conduct ourselves morally, the way God has said to conduct ourselves in our speech, in our actions, and all the things that we do. That is righteousness. But he says sin is unrighteous. And we put that un on there and it makes it the opposite, doesn't it? What we do the opposite of. <clears throat> you know, you go to 1 Kings in chapter 8, verse uh, 15, it says, there's no man that sinneth not. And you bring it back to the Old Testament in the book of Romans in chapter 3 in verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of what? God. The righteousness of God we have come short of. Achan's sin affected the whole camp. You know, there are always consequences <coughs> for everything <coughs> that you do. Whether it be something good, this is what I have to teach in my little social class that I have every morning with seven young men. They have a little behavior chart that has eight lines on it of their periods of the day and has eight smiley faces and it has eight not so much smiley faces and it has sad faces. They line up outside of my door every morning at 7.45 and sit on the ground and wait on me to get there. You look at them, they're a motley crew. Boy, they're something. I love every one of them, dearly. And they'll all be sitting out there. <clears throat> Some of them can't read and can't read very well. And they'll be going, what did my teacher write on here? So they make notes throughout the day that gives me talking points in my class with them. But you know one thing they do understand is a smiley face a not-so-smiley face, that's a straight line, and a sad face. And they know that every smiley face is worth two points. And they know that by the end of the day, they have to have 12 points to access the next morning something good. And I have a sensory room, and 
have a trampoline and all these things in it, and they love those things. Have balls they can bounce on and all this kind of stuff. But they'll be sitting outside my door. If they haven't learned anything else this year, they'll learn how to count by twos. Because they'll sit outside my door every morning going, two, four, six, eight. And when I walk up, they'll say, oh, I got 12 points. I get to access something good. Or the one will be sitting there with their head down. I said, what's wrong? I didn't get 12 points. You see, kids learn, and we as adults learn. There's consequences for the things that we do, whether it's a good thing or whether it's a negative thing. We have consequences. There are good consequences. A lot of times we get caught up, and many people do, especially in the education world, that we feel out that consequences always are negative. They're not. There are positive consequences. Same thing in Christianity. There are negative consequences and positive. For all have sinned. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In us. The consequences of sin, as I just spoke of, you go back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. We can go back in Genesis 2 and verse 17. For the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they shall not eat of it. For the Lord had told them, if you eatest thou of it, you shall surely die. Romans 5 and verse 12 makes a reference to that. It says, wherefore, wherefore as by one man entered into, sin entered into the world by one man, and the death by sin, and also death passed upon all men, for, all, for that all have sinned. Romans 5 and verse 12. You see, one might ask the question, and Aikens, why? Joshua asked him, why'd you do this? How many times in your life as a kid, or us as to our children, have we made that statement? Why did you do that? Why in the world? What were you thinking? You know the answer to that most of the time? Because we tell them, don't we? We don't even give them time to answer. What were you thinking? What do we say? I know you weren't thinking. We don't even give them time to answer. You know, Joshua asked Aiken that, didn't he? I believe that God's going to ask that question one day to us. What were you thinking? When you failed to do this, or when you done that, what were you thinking? You know, Aiken had to be thinking this very thing, and we use this same justification today. Nobody will find out. We use that same justification today. Aiken had to be thinking, nobody will ever know. You see, we live in a world, in a society, that who cares what a person does in the privacy of their own home? Well, I can tell you this, God cares. You know, 
No one knew that Achan had taken these articles. No one knew that he had taken the beautiful Babylonian cloak. No one knew that he had taken the silver and gold, but God knew. Why do we think we can get away with sin? Why do we think that God is not going to know? And again, that problem is greatly increasing in our society. One thing that I really see in our society and that our young people are being plagued with is sexual sins. Either by themselves, privately, with pornography and other things, or with another person. That's in our society greatly. Again, back to driving the bus. Heard a young girl just the other day, 16, 17 year old, talking to another young lady. She said, what are you going to do if you're pregnant? 15, 16 years old. It's rampant. Purity is not anything of importance anymore, really. And we have to bring that back to our children and to the world. You see, the intensity of Satan's attack with sexual sin and greed is growing. Pornography was bad enough you know, I told you years, you know, years and years and years ago, you, you could not access pornography unless you went and bought it. You had to go buy a, a magazine. But now it's through an email, through a text, comes up on your, whatever they call that, feed or whatever it is. It's right there at you. You know, in all of this, <clears throat> we forget this and other sins. We forget that God knows. In Joshua 7 and verse 1, back to that, we read that the anger of the Lord burned against the Israelites. Real quickly, in just a few moments that we have left, I want to number off the effects that we read about the sin of Achan. No one says, oh, I'm not hurting anyone but myself. But that's not true. The sin of Achan, I've already mentioned that 36 innocent soldiers died in the attack of Ai. Israel believed they had the favor of the Lord and did not know that one person had committed that sin and brought the anger of the Lord against them. 3,000 of those soldiers had to run for their lives. Number two, all of the confidence that Israel had gained in the victory against Jericho was lost because of Achan's sin. You see, that's the same thing that happens to us today. People are affected by it. Sin of other people and of our own sin to other people bring our confidence level down. It makes us have to go through difficult times because of the sins of others, because we're worried or we're grieved because of of that person's sin. But number three, Achan lost his life. You know, uh, as I was studying this, I was thinking, was it really worth it, Achan? Was it really worth studying those things dedicated to the Lord, and then in a few days later, your life was taken because of it? Was it worth it because you were stoned and burned? Your family, all your possessions? 
You know, one thing I thought about, you know, they didn't save it for the family. They didn't say, well, we'll save the family and we'll say, here, uh, you take the cloak and that'll help you financially. No, but <laughs> nothing. They burned everything, didn't they? They got rid of everything. Number four, the things they can stole were lost. He wasn't able to leave that gold and silver to his descendants so at least they would be well off. All that Achan had down to his very tent was taken to that valley of Achor and burned. He lost everything he tried to gain through his sin. I've always said it takes years and years and years to build a good name, but it only takes just one minute of folly to destroy it. One minute. One night. One prom night if one should go. One date, one party, one time can ruin your reputation. It can ruin all the things in your life. Number five, he lost his family. As difficult as it is for us to deal with, Achan's family were, was destroyed because of Achan's sin. And people would say today, well, why did they have to suffer? They didn't take it. Achan brought his family into his sins, and they had to pay the punishment too. He lost it all by making that choice. Let us not neglect the sin that's in our life. Don't let us fall into greed and sexual sins and other sins in our life, profanity and all the things that we deal with. Let us teach our children to always, and let us as adults always think before we act. But if we should sin, identify that sin, confess it, repent of it, and have it to be gone, have it to be removed. Your sin does affect other people. I've shared with you many, many times in stories that I have told my own children. And I've told them and reminded them many, many times about the name Scoggins. I share with them that there's an S on it because I wanted to be different. Because the rest of my family, as I've told you before, leaves the S off. I wanted to be different. Because I wanted to be better. I wanted a better name. And myself and my family, and I have pushed them to protect that name. Not that we're some superior or whatever, but where we came from, it took a lot of years and a lot of mistakes and a lot of confessing sin and repenting sin and being humble and trying to make right choices to change that. There's something in a name. I believe that with all my heart. Even in the name of Christ. If you're in the name of Christ, if you're in Christ, you're a Christian. You've been baptized for the remission of your sins. If you haven't, you're not in Christ. You don't bear the name of a Christian. Tonight, let me encourage you to do that. 
Tonight, maybe you need to repent of sin, and there's sin in your camp. And it's affected your life. It's affected you and your way of thinking and your being able to serve the Lord. Maybe tonight you need to confess that sin. Tonight, whatever your need may be, please come. Together we stand and as we sing.